Amen, 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 amen. He's alive this morning, amen? I said he's alive this morning, amen? We don't come here to worship a dead or a boring God. We don't come here to worship some uh, sacrificial little uh, statue or little uh, pagan idol. We come to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that rose again on that third morning. Praise the Lord for that song. When the, when the stone was rolled away, the rock of ages walked out. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter number 13 this morning. Acts chapter number 13. <clears throat> Acts chapter number 13. There we go. Last week, by way of review, we talked about and we preached about what am I? What am I? Peter looked around as he saw these Gentile believers getting saved and he began to expound and to explain to his Jewish brethren. He said, God is now doing to them what he did to us, and he began to use this us and them verbiage, and this us and them speaking, and this us and them thought. He began to explain how there was once a great divide, and that Peter asked the question, But what was I that, could I that I could withstand God? And we asked that question, What am I? In church, what are we? You remember? Christians, all right? We're not of this side or of that side or of this flesh or of that flesh or of this race or of that race, but we are Christians. And Peter was dis discovered that and Peter had now, and the church there at Antioch had now come to grips with that. And then we saw, I still can't get over how when Herod arrested Peter, when he came in and he killed James and then he arrested Peter and he thought he had everything bottled up. He was going to put on a show. He was going to make them Jews happy. He did not account for one thing. He did not account for the church of the living God getting on their knees and praying and praying without ceasing unto God for him so that he would be delivered. And it was so uh, such a, <clears throat> a mighty thing that God did that the church was completely baffled by it, that when Peter was set free, um, they couldn't even believe it themselves. Peter himself thought he was dreaming, dreaming when he got out of prison. And now we see the church beginning to stand on its own two feet. We see the church beginning to be able to realize like, hey, God is doing something with us. God is doing something with this family of Christians. God is marching forward. We've now seen the Jews try to stop us and they were not able to stop us. Now we've seen the Romans try to stop us and they were not able to stop us. And we see that now that they're able to stand on their own foundation, they're able to stand on the foundation that the Holy Ghost is laid for them. They're able to stand on the rock of ages, the Lord Jesus Christ, that nothing was going to stop them. And that's where we're going to see what happens next in Acts number 13, chapter 13 and verse 44. Stand with me as we read our text. Acts chapter number 13 and verse 44. We're going to zoom in on Paul and Barnabas on one of their, their first missionary journey. Acts chapter number 13 and verse number 44. The Bible says, In the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained into eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and the honorable women 
and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. Verse 51, read this verse with me. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. One more time. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. This morning I want to preach on this thought. When the dust settles. When the dust settles. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for Paul and Barnabas here in our scriptures. Thank you so much for the book of Acts that you recorded each and everything, each and every time the church was in need and each and every time the church was in delivered so that when your churches in the future, in, the, in this day, would need you, when your churches would be looking for guidance, when your churches would be looking at how to survive in this lost and dying world, that we could turn to such a blessed book as the book of Acts and watch how you used your people just as you used them then. I pray, God, that you use us here now. God, fill us with your spirit. If there's any in this room that's lost, that when the dust settles... They won't have what they need to have. God, I pray and I ask these things that you use this service in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Again, these Christians there at Antioch had realized that now they were standing on their own two feet. They realized that the Holy Ghost of God, that the, the Spirit of the Lord had laid this foundation which no other man can lay, had laid this foundation of the gospel, laid this foundation of truth, laid this foundation that they were able to stand on and that even though the Jews had tried to stop them, even though the Jews had came in and killed Stephen and even though the Jews had came in and threw stones and threw rocks and all these things, and then they saw Herod, a Roman king, come in and he tried to arrest and he tried to persecute and he tried to kill and he was partially successful, but at the end of the day, God God was the victor. God was marching on and God's people were marching on. The moment God set their feet in order, they realized they were standing on their own two feet. He tells them to go. By introduction, we're going to look at exactly what led up to Paul and Barnabas getting kicked out of the city. We just read where Paul and Barnabas were expelled out of the coast and where they were forced out of Iconium and where these people gathered together and pushed them away. But, but what led up to that? First of all, a separate work. Look back in verse number 2. Look back in verse number 2 of chapter 13. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. A separate work. God had a plan. God had a mission. The Holy Ghost began to speak to that church there at Antioch and to say, Separate unto me Paul and Barnabas. Now look at what they've just come through. They've just got their preacher man back. They've just got Peter back there and they've, they've withstood the persecution of Rome. They've withstood the persecution of Herod. They're praising the Lord. It says they were ministering unto the Lord as they ministered unto the Lord. Imagine the level of service you have to have to minister to God. Imagine the Holy Ghost moving in those services. Imagine just the closeness and the fellowship and the fellowship that was taking place there in Antioch. And amongst those services, once they started to realize, hey, we're doing this thing. God's using us. God is blessing us. God is saving. This thing might, might, may just take off. He might just use me. He might just use me. The Holy Ghost begins to deal with them and he says, separate to, unto me Paul and Barnabas. Now, wait a second. I thought we just wanted to keep everybody inside the four walls. I thought we wanted to hog the blessings of God. I thought we wanted to keep all the men in here and, the, and that's our preacher and that's our this and that's our that and that's our this. No, 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 no. The Holy Ghost said, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work which I have called unto them. Now, understand who Paul was. Paul, just a few months earlier, was wreaking havoc of the church. Just a few months earlier, was 
killing and murdering Christians. Just a few months earlier, Barnabas was just a layman of the disciples. Now, what qualified them for this work? God's call was the only thing required to qualify them for the work that He had set, set apart for them. God had plans for Saul. God had plans for Barnabas before they met each other. God had a mission for Paul and God had a mission for Barnabas way before that they became uh, members of the church there at Antioch, way before they went to the disciples in Jerusalem. God had plans for Barnabas and had plans for Paul way before that they even began to get involved in this church scene, begin to get involved with this Christianity thing. God had plans for Paul and He had plans for Barnabas long before they even met Him, long before they were even saved by Him, long before they had repented and put their trust in Jesus, God had a plan for their life, a separate work. When God saved you, when God saved you, when God saved you, when God saved you, He had a specific work, a separate work for you to accomplish, a separate work for you to do. And your work, your separate work is different from the person sitting next to you. And theirs is different from the person sitting next to them. Bless God, we can't all be preachers. We can't all be missionaries. God has a work for you to do in a place where He wants you to do it with the people He wants you to do it with. There's a separate work that needed to be done here. And it required Paul and Barnabas. No doubt there were some that probably stood up and said, I, I-, I want to go, but the Holy Ghost said Paul and Barnabas. No doubt Paul and Barnabas might have said, but, but I'm in the middle of a series or I'm in the middle of teaching this group over here. I'm in the middle of doing this. Lord, I, I, I've got my plans and my visions. And, my, and he said, Paul and Barnabas, separate them. Take them. I have a job for them to do. Now, this separate work begins to take off in verse number 14. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. All right. They sat down. They didn't come in there guns blazing. They didn't come in there calling out the hypocrisy and calling out the Jews. And sometimes Paul would do that. Sometimes Paul would walk up in the building and you would know he was there immediately. Sometimes Paul would be the guy that would open his mouth and, and not close it until it was closed for him, until stones began to fly and they began to throw him out. But no, that's not what happened. They simply went into the synagogue and sat down. At first, you would think this would be a seated word, but then in verse number 15, we read, And after the reading of the law, the prophets and the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Do they realize what they just did? They just looked at Paul and said, You men got anything to say? Say it. Oh, buddy. At first, they just see these two boys sitting down, minding their peace, and Picture it. They're sitting here about the fourth row back, minding their peace. The prophets get up and they read the law. They read the books of the Torah. They read the books of Moses. And they finish their scripture reading for that day. And the, the, the prophet just looks down at the, or the Pharisee or the priest or whatever he was, looks down at, at Paul and Barnabas sitting there and said, you young men got something to say. Say on. Ooh, he don't realize the can he just opened. Verse number 16. Then Paul stood up. And beckoning with his hand, that means he went into preacher gear immediately. The moment he said, say on, he stood up and began beckoning with his hand, pointing that finger, letting her rip, tater chip. Verse number 16, it says, then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, men of Israel and ye that fear God, give audience. He said, all right, listen up. 
Listen up. You see, they thought they were just going to get maybe, oh, bless, we're visiting from so-and-so, and it's just such a blessing to be able to come and to hear the Word of the Lord read. And then he said, you got something to say for the Lord? And Paul set up and said, you bet your britches I got something to say for the Lord. I'm going to preach. I'm going to tell you. And if there's anybody around here that fears God, if there's anybody around here that wants to hear something from the Lord, I'm about to say it. Why? Because I met Him. I've been saved by Him. I've been taught by Him. I've been called by Him. I've been close, brought into His, <coughs> His bosom by Him. And I'm here to tell you something, Pharisee. I'm here to tell you something, Jew. I'm here to tell you something, Gentile. I'm here to tell Listen up. Okay. Think he has their attention? Think he has their attention? But he didn't get into all kinds of crazy exponential theologies and philosophies and this versus that and that side versus that. No, he presented a simple way. It was a separate work. It was a standing word and it was a simple way. Look at verse number 32. And we declare unto you, this is Paul talking, glad tidings. How that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children. And that he had raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second song. Thou art my song, son, this day have I begotten thee. Now look down in verse 38. Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. In verse 39. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which he would not be justified by the law of Moses, by which he could not be justified from the law of Moses. Do you realize what Paul just said? Do you realize what Paul just summarized his message as, as he goes through the lineage of, of the people of Israel and then he begins to explain to the Gentiles, he said, we bring to you glad tidings. This is good news. This is the gospel. Listen up. What I have brought to you Jews, what I have brought to you Gentiles is a very simple thing to understand. These men that have given me this opportunity to speak, they have spent their life explaining to you how complicated things are and how much things cost and how many sacrifices are necessary and this ritual and this ritual, but I have come to tell you that there is a man that was born of a virgin that lived a sinless life and that through his blood and that through his sacrifice, we can have you and me can have forgiveness of sins and to all that believe are justified by his sacrifice and by his blood and men and brethren and sisters and the ones that are around and the ones that can hear me, the ones that Paul was speaking to, he said, listen up, Jesus loves you and he loves me. He wants to forgive you and he wants to forgive me. This is simple. Don't get it twisted. Don't get it complicated. This is a simple way of salvation. Oh, buddy. Those Jews just still haven't quite realized what they've stirred up, did they? Can you imagine the guy that looked at him and said, you got something to say, say on. Can you imagine all the evil looks he's getting now? He's probably fired, isn't he? He's probably, he's fired. He's not allowed to let anybody talk anymore. But what, what's the reaction? What's the reaction? A sincere wish. Look at verse number 42. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Look at the response to the gospel here. Would you say that again next week? Would you preach that again, preacher? Would you say it just a one more time? Would you remind us just a one more time? He said, would you come the next Sabbath? Would you come next week and would you preach the same? Now, why were they asking to hear it again? They just heard it, right? No, what happened? The next week, almost the entire city showed up to hear it. 
The reason they wanted him to say it again was not just so that they could sit and soak and sour and hear it again. The reason they wanted it preached again, the reason they wanted the preacher back the next week, the the reason they wanted the gospel preached again is because they had a neighbor, they had a friend, they had a cousin, they had an uncle, they had a mom, they had a dad, and they had to go get them. They had to bring them to the place where they could hear that. They had to bring them to the place where that they could get under the preaching of the gospel. And if that is not our mission, and if that is not our goal, these Gentiles understood what these men were saying was so simple that anybody could understand it. And what these men were preaching was so needed that everybody needed to hear it. And that they knew in their life that there was somebody that they had to go get and bring back to hear these words. It was a sincere wish. The Gentiles were like, please come back. Please say that again. Please preach it again. No doubt they went back home and they said, honey, you're not going to believe what this man told me today. You're not going to believe what the message I heard at the synagogue. They'd be like, oh, did he read Leviticus chapter 22 again? No, honey, no. This other preacher, they said, you got a word for the Lord, say on. And I've never seen anybody speak like that. I've never heard anybody speak. He was full of the, I don't even, I can't even explain it. They, they, they call it the Holy Ghost, but I can't really explain it. He was full of it, and he was preaching, and he was letting it rip, and he summarized it. And he said, you and me, honey, we can go to heaven. That Jesus will forgive you and me, even though we're not Jews, even though we're not religious, even though we don't follow the law. You've got to come back next week. I can't put it into words what's taking place. You've got to come back next week. They're going to do it again. So, this sincere wish. No doubt, as those words begin to spread, as Paul preached that first message and word began to spread, the Holy Ghost was all over it. The Holy Ghost was following Gentiles into their homes this way. The Holy Ghost was following Gentiles into their homes this way. The Holy Ghost was following Gentiles and Jews in their places of work, in their places of business, into the market streets. And the town, the city, was abuzz with this thing of the gospel, with this good news. Everybody had good news to tell. Now, when the Holy Ghost, the wind begin to blow in that town, what happens if there hasn't been wind in quite some time? If there hasn't been wind in an area in quite some time, and there's been nothing to really purge anything out, dust begins to settle, doesn't it? But when that wind begins to blow again, and when Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, let her rip tater chip, and that wind began to permeate from that synagogue out into that city, what do you think got stirred up a little bit? Dust. Dust. When that Holy Ghost began to... Following this one and following that one. Dust began to rise and dust began to unsettle. Some of us may have some of this dust. Some of us may know somebody who has some of this dust. And when the Holy Ghost begins dealing with us, when the Holy Ghost begins... It stirs up. Begins to cloud things. That's exactly what we're going to see here. That's exactly what happened. And I want to remind you this thought. When the dust settles, what's left? When the dust settles, what's left? It stirred up some dust in verse 44. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with what? Number one, the dust of envy. The dust of envy. We see a wholesome desire. The entire, almost, the Bible gives us that word, almost. You know what that means? Somebody just overslept. If that one person over, went overslept, the rest of the city would have been there. Almost the whole city came to hear these preachers. Now, these Jews, Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath, they said, Leviticus 12. Here we go. It's the Sabbath again. And the only ones that they were preaching to were them dusty, dusty, dusty pews. But when that Holy Spirit... Began to blow in that place. 
that dust begin to get stirred up. And people begin to realize, hey, that there's some truth being preached. I'm going to go down there. And them Jews lifted up their eyes and they see the, almost the entire city. Can you imagine how much more fired that guy is now that said, Paul, you got a word? Say, on. You imagine how he's probably under the jail. They look and they, they begin to see multitudes. They begin to see people that they've never seen before. They begin to see people that they, they would call unclean, that they would call dirty. These Jews that held themselves and put these, themselves on this pedestal and thought they were holier than thou, they would have begun to see people from all walks of life, from all different colors and all different backgrounds and all different ethnicity and all different upbringings and all different homes and all different workplaces. and all. They would have begun to see the entire city begin to come to hear and that dust of envy begin to stir. That dust of jealousy, of hatred about what was happening. It was a wicked depression. See, on the surface you would think, on the surface you would think, oh, they're just jealous of Paul and Barnabas. No, 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 no. Preaching of the gospel is never about man. I'll say that again. Preaching of the gospel is never about man. They weren't jealous of Paul and Barnabas. They were jealous of what God was doing through Paul and Barnabas. You see, they had been standing there in their own abilities and their own flesh and their own wisdom and their own wealth and their own popularity. They had been standing there Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath, week after week after week, and they had never generated this kind of response. They had never been able to have this point of success where the entire city could come. They could barely fill up their pews. They could barely fill up, barely fill up their synagogues. But when God moved in and when God did something, they were jealous. And it wasn't of Paul and Barnabas, it was of their relationship with God. And a lot of times we get jealous when we've checked that spiritual box Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And we, yep, we showed up. Yep, we wore a tie. Yep, we put something in the offering plate. Yep. And then somebody, maybe just a little bit different than us, comes in and gets gloriously saved and gets used to testify and gets used to start a ministry and gets used to take off and evangelize the world. And we say, we're jealous. Why'd God use them? Because you were using you. He just needed somebody to let him do it. He just needed somebody to get out of his way. He just needed somebody to say, Lord, whatever you want me to say, I'll say it. And if it means I'm going to get shot, if it means I'm going to die, if it means I'm going to get beat up, I'll say it. Not Lord, I'm going to say what I want to. I'm going to do what I want to do, but I'll be there. I'll check that box. I'll be there Wednesday night, Sunday night, Sunday morning. I'll check that box. But don't you ask me anything. And then we look. Why is God using them? Doesn't he realize I've been here? I've been here. Yeah, that's, that's all you've been. It's just here. The dust of envy. You can no doubt that... <coughs> They come busting in that synagogue. All them people. Move over. Get them cobwebs out of the way. Junior and sissy got to sit right there. Sit down. There's a preacher about to preach. We got to hear them. Get that big old stack of scrolls out of the way. Get, get, push that out of the corner. We got to sit down. We got to hear these men. Open the doors up. Put chairs out in the lobby. Open those doors up. Put places for people to stand. Block the traffic. Block the chariots. We got we to get these people where they can hear the gospel. We got to get these people. They got to hear this good news. And all that dust begins. And, <coughs> and that dust, and they can't see it because of their own 
Envy. 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 A wild division. Look what they try to do. After you really look at the book of Acts and you see the big picture of things and what, who they're up against, it's the Holy Ghost of God. And you read these verses and you're like, that's cute. That's cute. Look at verse number 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Contradicting and blaspheming. You know what they tried to do? Satan loves this tactic. Satan loves to use this. When the truth is being preached, or the truth is about to be preached, Satan gets the idea, these Jews got the idea, that if they can pump enough falseness out there, if they can pump enough lies out there, if they can pump enough dirt out there, if they can pump enough dust out there, if they can muddy the waters enough, if they can make it so hard to determine what is true and what is false, if they can just simply put out contradictions and put out blasphemies and try to argue and try to get people in their emotions and try to get the, the lines so blurred and the area so gray, they thought if they could contradict and they could blaspheme that there's no way the truth could possibly shine through. He's still doing that right now. He's still doing that right now. He wants you to focus on this issue. He wants you to focus on that issue. He wants you to argue about this. He wants you to argue about that. He wants you to take a stand here. And he thinks if he can muddy the airwaves enough, if he can muddy the, the radio waves enough, if he can muddy the TV enough, if he can muddy the social media enough that the Christians will forget where the light is, that the Christians will quit trying to shine the light through it. They'll look at it and they'll think it's so miry and it's so dusty and it's so dirty. And there's no way, even if I shine my light, it wouldn't get through all that. No friend, that light will pierce right through it. And people will immediately, they'll see it. And they'll begin to question, what is this thing you call truth? What is this thing you call, I'm burdened for our young people. They can go to their library at their school and read a book about every religion except Christianity. They can read a book about every cult, but not about Jesus. They can go and get on Google and they can search about every form of wickedness under this earth on that school computer. But if they type in, who is Jesus? It'll come up on their screen and say, blocked. I'm lying, I'm dying. Go try it, young people, go try it. Because that's controversial hate speech. Telling somebody that there's a God in heaven who loves them is hate speech. You see, the opposition is against it because it's the only one that's true. But he knows if he can muddy the waters enough, he knows if he can contradict and he can blaspheme and he can pump out those lies and he can eventually people will get so sick and tired of trying to sift through the mud and trying to sift through the dust and they'll say, it's not even worth it. I don't care what the truth is. I'm going to do my own thing. You see how we've got where we've gotten? When everybody gives up on trying to find truth and then they come to a Christian and say, do you know? Do you know what the truth of this matter is? And immediately we go, yeah, I saw on the TV and this is what. Mm -mm. We've got the truth of the truth of the truth of the truth of the truth. The foundation of all learning, the foundation of all right versus wrong, the foundation of what to believe about the next life and what to believe about this life and what to do in these circumstances and what to do in these circumstances. But. It's in the trunk of our cars. It's on the bookshelf. 
And when somebody's trying to sift through that dust and they're trying to get through the envy of this party and they're trying to get through the envy of that party and they're trying to get through this side and they're trying and they just want to hear the truth and they finally get to us. Do we show them the Bible or do we just give them our own opinions, our own ideas? You know what that is? Dust. It won't, it's not going anywhere because heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. Dust of envy. Dust of pride. Look at verse number 46. Dust of envy. And then dust of pride. Verse 46. Did it work? Like I said, you read those verses and you're like, oh, they tried to contradict and blaspheme them. That's cute. Look at verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it was necessary. They said, okay, since you want to speak up now, hypocrites, since you want to speak up now, Mr. Contradictor and Mr. Blasphemer, let's deal with you for a second. Paul and Barnabas turned their attention towards them and said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing that ye put it from you, this was dust of pride. Those Jews realized that they missed their opportunity. Those Jews realized that, hey, Jesus came to us and we killed him. But their pride was so big. Their pride, but they admit they killed him. They admitted, think about this, they admit they killed him. They admitted that he might very well be the Son of God. They admitted that he did many wondrous works, but what they failed to admit was that they made the mistake. They admitted they killed him. They admitted that yeah, he, he, might, he might have actually been the Messiah, but it's not our fault. We couldn't have possibly made that mistake. It wasn't us. I made your observation. Look down at verse 46 again. It was necessary that the word of God should first be spoken unto you, but seeing ye put it from you, judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. This would have broken their little pride bones in half. We preach this message to you. Jesus came and brought this message of salvation to you. But since you decided that your pride was too big, and since you decided that your goodness and your greatness and your own merit and your own worthiness was better or higher than the grace of Almighty God, since you decided to do this, since you put the ball back in our court, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. That happens every day in Baptist churches all over this country. The Holy Spirit comes. <whistles> begins to stir that dust up. And that pride wells up in you. I don't need God. I, I, you know what this sounds like? I, I'm a good person. I, I, I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as them. I, I'm not out there doing that. Sure, I may do this or enjoy that or do this or I may have this in my past, but I'm not that bad. You know what the Holy Spirit of God through Paul just said? You don't want it. Someone else will. Someone else will. You may be in danger of crossing that deadline where the Holy Spirit of God says, you know what? 
You've resisted me one time too many. Your line is crossed. That's it. You've said no one time too many. One time too many. Lastly, the dust of persecution. Look at verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. As many as were ordained eternal life believe. Let me just deal with that really quick. Verse 48 says, as many as were ordained to eternal life believe. That word ordained means divine appointment. Divine appointment. And a lot of scholars and a lot of Calvinists would suggest, you see, these people were pre-chosen, predestinated by God Almighty to be saved. No, 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 no. All that scripture says is that they had a divine appointment to meet their Lord and Jesus and hear the gospel. Each and every one of those people in that synagogue had a divine appointment to hear the gospel. But the ones that did what? What made the difference? What was the difference between this one who had an appointment and this one who had an appointment and that one rejected it and that one accepted it? What was the difference? Was it because God chose this one or God didn't choose that one? No, no, sir. No, no, ma'am. Look at the end of the verse in 48. And were any, <clears throat> as many were ordained to eternal life, believed. All of them had an appointment. All of them got the address to hear the gospel. All of them got the opportunity to hear the good news of the gospel. All of them had a divine appointment with God and said, when you get here, when you come to this place, you're going to hear the truth. You're going to hear about my son. You're going to hear about Calvary. You're going to hear about what he did for you. You're going to hear about what he did for you. You're going to hear about what he did for you. And it's only going to determine, do you believe it or not? They all had an appointment, but only some believed. Only some believed. The success here is unfathomable. It was, was a failed, laughable attempt by Satan and those Jews to stop what was set in motion. They tried to contradict. They tried to blaspheme. They tried to muddy that water. Multitudes still get saved. Multitudes still come to Christ. Multitudes still believe. No doubt they tried to confuse some. They tried to muddy the waters, but when the Holy Ghost wants to do something, He does it. When the Holy Ghost seeks out to accomplish something, it gets accomplished. And here they found themselves a failed resistance, but then they thought they could have a very flaunted retaliation. Look at what they try to do. I know what we'll do, guys. It's laughable. Look in verse 49. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. Well, we can't have this again. Think about that guy that looked at Paul and said, say on. He's dead now. They done fired him, put him in the jail, then put him under the jail. He's gone. The word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But the Jews, here they go again, stirred up. We're going to look at that more in depth tonight. But stirred up the devout and honorable women. This is the first time that the persecutors specifically named in Scripture, they went and got the honorable and the esteemed women. It's just something different. And the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. Satan has heavy hitters everywhere. Satan has people in places of power, people in places of influence, people in places that are ready to persecute at the drop of the hat. They are ready to publish a headline at the drop of a hat. They are ready to, to drop a bomb on a little beautiful thing at any point in time. Satan has heavy hitters. 
And that's who we called in here. When the Jews said, well, what we tried didn't work. We tried spreading rumors. We tried contradicting. We tried blaspheming. We tried muddying the waters. We're going to have to call in some heavier hitters. We're going to have to call in those great and wealthy women, those queens and those princesses or whoever they were. We're going to have to call in those great and mighty men, the ones with power, the ones with money, the ones that can make things happen, the ones that can make people disappear. No doubt they started trying to contact the crime lords, you say, or the, the drug cartels, or they may have tried to start contacting those ladies that, that had servants and those ladies that had power and those ladies that had influence over the men and those ladies that could get things done, those ladies that can make things happen. And they, they started to reach out. They started to retaliate. And now all they could do was cast them out of their coasts. They thought maybe Satan throws his biggest punches. Satan's thrown the Pharisees at him. Satan's thrown Herod at him. But now he's trying to throw the wealth of the world at him. Now he's like, well, Maybe these heavy hitters, maybe these rich women, these rich men, these, these honorable and esteemed, maybe they can smudge their name up. Maybe they can silence this preaching. But what was it? What was it? A failure. It didn't work. It didn't work. How do you know it didn't work, preacher? Oh, look at verse 51. But they shook off the dust of their feet. You may be out there in that dust of pride and that dust of envy. Maybe you've even reached the point of the dust of persecution. Maybe you're out there listening and you're one of the ones who've moved way past envy. You're tired of being jealous of what God can do. You're way past pride. Now you're reaching the point to where the Holy Ghost of God has stirred up the dust of persecution in your heart. And you think that the only way you can escape this judgment, the only way you can escape hearing the truth is to persecute it and to attack it and to publish negative things about it and to try to contradict it and to try to blaspheme it and try to muddy the waters. Let me tell you, friend, that dust is going to settle. All the pride in your heart, all the envy in your heart, all the things you try to throw at the church, all the arrows you try to shoot, all the stones you try to throw, everything you try to do to try to stir up and try to muddy and try to block it, it's, it's going to go away. It's not going to do a bit of good. It's going to fall to the ground. Says Paul and Barnabas, literally, shook the dust off their feet. Every time I've ever heard this preach, the preacher does this. But the, the Bible says... Right here in verse number 51, they shook the dust of their feet against them. You know what this almost looks like? All that pride, all that envy, all that persecution. You know what it wound up being? That's what Paul and Barnabas did. It did not affect the mission and the call on their life in the slightest. But again, the message is when the dust settles, when the dust settles, as the Miss Joy and imitation has come, when the dust settles, what's left? You see, the Holy Ghost exposed some things. He exposed some pride. He exposed some envy. He exposed and brought out some persecution. Maybe you're in here this morning. Maybe you're watching by internet. And the Holy Ghost has begun to stir that dust up in you. Maybe the Holy Ghost has been able to expose some sin in your life. Maybe the Holy Ghost is dealing with you. And you know, and you know that you know that you know that you are separated from a God in heaven by your sin. And you've never came and you've never confessed it. When that dust settles, what will be left? 
By way of invitation, I want you to look with me at verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost.